My name is Adrian Pope. And today, the theme of our podcast is going to be, Will Trump Quit? As in, will he drop out and not run for re-election in 2020? Adrian, what do you think? Well, I think there's a good chance, uh, at least an argument you could be made. I shouldn't say good chance, but at least an argument you could be made is that Trump's probably going to see the writing on the wall. We already know there's reports coming out of the White House that he fumes about the results of polls lately. And even on when he was being interviewed by Hannity, he, he made a comment saying that, like, well, you know, we're all going to have President Biden because some people don't like me. Uh, so that's kind of a funny admission that even Trump, the narcissistic, egotistical, political megalomaniac, uh, kind of gave even to his uh, his most staunchly supportive audience and and arguably you know the guy who has you know the biggest brown noser for Trump in the world Sean Hannity. <laughs> right. Um, I think about this. I I kind of go back and forth because like on one hand you know there's so many people who really think Trump won't leave office. Bill Maher is kind of famous for saying that. However, that's kind of predicated on the idea that the election is somewhat close. And Trump has a still erroneous, but maybe more plausible in terms of his supporters' minds, that uh, like the idea that uh, the election was rigged, and uh, you know he's saying that now about like mail-in voting, that all mail-in voting can be rigged. Um, well, that's gonna be the weird thing about mail-in voting, because it you know if you put it in a historical perspective, it makes me think of like imagine what romans were thinking when you know the fate of the roman republic really rested in in what was going on in julius caesar's mind right when he took over rome and made it a a a dictatorship and you know it became the roman empire it's almost the same way like what happens to our country in 2021 is really just based on what trump wants to do (laughs) uh which is kind of crazy because it you know it's like the idea that, like, well, at least Julius Caesar was a competent, you know, person who knew how to get stuff done. Trump doesn't know how to get anything done. And he's probably, I mean, I think it's safe to say, you know, granted his, his term's not up, but I think it's safe to say he's the most incompetent president we've ever had, right? Would you, would you argue that? I mean, I can't think of another president. I mean, Harding was incompetent, but he knew it and didn't do a lot. <laughs> so maybe, you know, that puts him above Trump. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, because... I was thinking about this before uh, COVID started because, you know, if you subtract COVID from his legacy, like Trump is incompetent and obviously an idiot. But on the other hand, he didn't start a war in Iraq that killed like 250,000 plus or a million, like a million people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So like I always gave him that benefit of the doubt was like, well, you know, he maybe flirted with the idea and even you know, sent bombers halfway to Iran or whatever before he called him back. But at least he didn't actually start a war. But now COVID just really kind of puts him over the edge because, I mean, it's less deaths than like the foreigners who died in our foreign wars that maybe were unnecessary. But with COVID, it's like American lives. I mean, this is like a World War status level of death and carnage. Um, and it, it was all preventable, right? There's no reason America needs to have 25% of deaths and cases. There's no well, yeah, reason that's America a, uh, needs to be the epicenter of the pandemic. That's definitely the weird thing, because like once you make the decision to go to war, as George W. Bush and the neocons did with Iraq, you, you're, you have to expect just from the nature of the business, right? Uh, collateral damage and, and, and you know, unfortunately, right. civilians and people being killed, refugees made. But like with COVID, 
I mean, you take something that a normal competent person would have probably started thinking about prior to January, like when he was getting reports on it in December. And then, you know, even when it came to America, Trump really didn't do anything. And, you know, he was saying for days that we have, we have 15 cases and it's going to be in zero in like a couple of days. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, the only reason we have cases at all is because we have a cruise ship with 30 people and they come to America and we're stupid and we take them in. You know, what I mean? that was like the rhetoric coming out of the White House. So, I mean, that's a special kind of competence that like. I mean, you take the, the richest country in the world, America, who has the CDC who helps organize the world response to things like this in our borders, in the state of Georgia, right? And uh, we could, we fucked this up so bad. You know, that's how incompetent Donald Trump is. Yeah, and it's uh, interesting, too, because I like to think that Mike Pence's future political career has been forever tarnished. <laughs> um, because yeah. Pence is going out lying about all the COVID stuff and towing the Trump line. Which, you know, I mean, as recently as, like, I believe last week, Pence was going out and saying that COVID's largely behind us, that, uh, you know, we're going to open up the economy. And well, all the Republican governors off. were with him, too, right? Right. And then <laughs> Pence started shifting it to saying that um, it, it's young people's fault for going out to the beaches and stuff, which is kind of a weird thing. Dan Crenshaw just, uh, I believe, today was saying that it's Black Lives Matter, uh, that it's uh, the Black Lives Matter protesters' fault that Texas is going up and it's like just completely disregarding the the months at this point of republicans in both the trump administration and like governorships all across america you know all towing that line of oh this isn't bad let's open up jobs are more important than lives well that's the crazy <laughs> you know, thing kill grandma that's, for yeah. our jobs <laughs> well that's the crazy thing right because if the federal government had used its resources adequately and, and you know arguably appropriate as they should have in a competent manner then our quarantines would have worked. I mean, look at New Zealand, right? New Zealand is basically back to normal and they shut off everything. They did their quarantine for a number of weeks and then they could you know, come back to normal. But in America, in a weird way, if, if Trump had been more competent and the quarantines were applied adequately in all the states, well, these like COVID would have been over by the time the Black Lives Matter uh, protests sprung up. And in that case, you know, then it would have been way safer for real Americans doing, you know, real political protesting for real legitimate reasons. And it wouldn't be having this double effect on COVID. Uh, so that's kind of a weird kind of interesting thing that happened that, you know, you're blaming Black Lives Matter. But the fact that like you people could have been protesting like right now, if New Zealand, if you had a million people want to go protest, you could. And there'd be no COVID. Right. There'd be no risk of that. But our country messed up so much when people want to apply political pressure to the injustices of the country. They can't because the administration already fucked up so many things beforehand that the country was still fucked up and not even counting, you know, the new issues that, you know, we obviously have to address. Yeah, and it's uh, and this problem is really glaring. It's so hard for Trump to walk back because, you know, uh, when he when he stopped being able to have his rallies and he started having daily press conferences that he himself hosted, which are just now filled with yeah. talking points for Democrats uh, and the Lincoln Project to make video ads <laughs> against him. Of his day-by-day uh, day admission or his day-by-day right. day excuses and day-by-day... Day, uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> and it's weird now because like in his rallies and stuff, the real really the only accomplishment in terms of covid response that he can point to is i closed china <laughs> i closed <laughs> travel from china even though that like it's a global pandemic so 
you know, how many of our cases came from Europe? But wasn't it like, yeah. didn't, didn't they figure out like more of our cases probably came from Europe than China? Yeah, Especially probably. Especially after China, you know, travel from China got closed down. And again, yeah. even that, it was like only Chinese people. Americans going to China and potentially bringing it back weren't stopped. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, the whole thing was just messed up. Yeah. But, um, and it's stupid, too, because, like, you know, South Korea is another good example. Even China, right? China and South Korea are largely uh, much more back to normal than America is. And both mm -hmm. of those countries have, have way more population density than most of America. So they sure. had more successful response, even though the kind of circumstances and environment are much better for COVID uh, to really wreak havoc there. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, but going back to the topic of the day, I think a uh, little little structure to this podcast. Let's talk about just for our viewers, because it's kind of an interesting topic. Um, what would happen if Trump decided he didn't want to run for reelection? And we can talk about, you know, what would happen depending on the period. Uh, so like starting right off the bat, right, if Trump decided right today he didn't want to run again, the Republican convention hasn't happened. So they would very easily uh, just nominate another person. Right. Um, and, and we could go through the list of people who it could be, and it's fun to think about, right? Because obviously Mike Pence probably, the only reason he'd agree to, uh, you know, tie the anchor of Trump around his own neck was for his own political ambitions and, and you know, potential of running for president after him. Maybe he even thought that Trump would be <laughs> impeached earlier in his yeah. first term and he'd right. be president by now. Um, <laughs> I have two <laughs> questions on that. One, what? like how... How much do you think Pence's faith in God has been stressed and questioned based on Trump's inability to be impeached or resign or, you know, just the fact that Pence is not president? Do you think his faith has been <laughs> has been stressed? You know, oh, I guess what if you, wouldn't it be more funny if Pence's uh, faith in the American system and the Senate and the Republican Party has been <laughs> stretched, ironically? Yeah. <laughs> what if, like, you know, you know, <laughs> We blame Republicans for, uh, you know, giving us Trump and we blame, you know, people who who wanted to be third party voters who gave us Trump. But I wonder if there's certain Republicans who, you know, even though they don't say nothing politically, uh, probably think it in their own heads. Right. I mean, do you yeah. think all these Republican senators facing potential and, and certainly people in Congress, uh, whether it was in 2018 or this upcoming election, you know, the fact that they're facing very hard uh, elections against a Democrat who in a normal year would have no chance of winning against them. You know, they can't be thanking Trump in their minds for their political difficulties in the next seven or, you know, next five months. Right. Uh, that's true. And uh, a lot of Republican senators are having problems. Like Lindsey Graham is now tied with his uh, opponent, uh, Jamie Harrison, I believe his name is. Um, that's definitely a race to watch. I think, you know, Lindsey Graham might be Trump's biggest brown noser in all of the Senate. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of nice that I guess Car South Carolinians are kind of getting pissed off about that. Well, it's um, funny, too, because in this day and age, how often uh, really high profile Senate cases can really become national elections, even though only the people of South Carolina can vote. Uh, you know, you can see a lot of elections where the Democrat, for example, might get 90% plus of all their money from outside their state, which is kind of an interesting thing because, you know, people in the state, certainly the Republicans, will criticize the Democrat for taking all that money from, you know, foreigners who, 
you know, foreign to the state, obviously, but, you know, and criticize him as, you know, being a puppet of the Democratic Party and not like a real South Carolinian or whatever. But it is funny that, like, you know, if you're if you're an avid Democrat, it does your country and your party good by getting Lindsey Graham out of there. Right. Right. And that's the kind of funny thing is like even like Democrats who, you, you know, obviously, especially in the Senate, incumbents have a big advantage. But I'm sure there are some independents who would be happy to vote uh, for people like um, the uh, like Lisa Murkowski. And uh, who's the uh, female senator from Maine? Susan Collins. Yeah, Susan Collins. There's probably independents who voted for them multiple times over their careers, right? And would be happy to do so again. They just can't bring themselves to vote for someone who supports Trump in everything. And it's almost ironic that, you know, you can imagine one of some of these, you know, uh, Republicans, but people like more centrist Republicans who, who kind of abide by common sense and, and, and rationality. Uh, they're probably losing supporters they'd have otherwise just by hitching their wagon to Trump and just bending over backwards to defend or try to defend everything he does. Right. Uh, so let's say for the sake of the argument that Mike Pence, like Trump quits very soon, which, you know, just because we're getting up to the uh, conventions pretty soon, um, it's not too far away. Like conceivably, uh, if Trump is really going to quit, right, it's best for the Republican well, Party be next that he month, does it right? ASAP. The conventions yeah, are yeah, about in August, month, right? So yeah, so I mean, the Republican Party's pro- how many people are you think are pushing Trump? Like, just you got to quit ASAP if you're going to quit, you know? Well, probably no one's. Uh, you know, it's funny because no when you get Trump, these reports about Trump, you you literally hear stories about him like fuming in the White House, and it's just funny to think that he's just yelling at people intermittently as he thinks about something or sees something <laughs> on TV. Right. Like that just brings me a little happiness, despite yeah. all the bad he's doing. And I, I think, too, part of it, Trump would probably be pissed if people are trying to push him out. He would be pissed and want to sabotage the Republican Party for, you know, not supporting him better. Right. But well, wouldn't, it, wouldn't, it supporting, exactly, uh, wouldn't it be <laughs> exactly wouldn't it be exactly like wouldn't it be exactly like Trump if uh, like he actually did the convention? You know, he likes attention. If yeah. he still did the, the convention just for the attention, knowing he was going to quit like a couple days after <laughs> waste all that you know, potential momentum for, you know, his, the next person running after him. You know, what's really Uh, funny is like, when you think about the history of American politics and like, there's so many politicians, especially at the highest level of power, right? Like when you're working in the, the white house or multiple white houses for, for decades, right. And, and you're, you, you know, you work your way up to like cabinet level positions or like, you know, people who are like at the top of like the Intel community or, um, you know, let's say the State Department, right? Especially in the old days, right? You would kind of be a political figure in Washington. And you, you hear these stories like when you read about uh, the presidents like in the, the 70s and 80s and 90s, even going back to the 40s, right? Like what FDR's like dream if he had lived uh, past, you know, World War II was that he would retire to some like residence and then like all the politicians would come to him looking for guidance. And then you, you even hear stories like Gerald Ford never won a presidential election, even lost, you know, the one he tried to win. And, uh, you know, people were still coming to him, asking him for guidance. You know, Republicans were asking him like what he thought and what his advice was for years after he was no longer president. But can you imagine any of that happening with Trump? <laughs> like, let's say, you know, I can't imagine the 20. It, let's say Trump loses big in 2020. Like, who's going to go to Donald Trump for political advice is kind of like the old political sage, you know, who's just like a fixture of Washington, D.C. Uh, I mean, that's just a laughable idea, right? 
Right, you'd come and ask him for advice, and all he would talk about is like him winning Wisconsin when no one thought it was possible, you know? Yeah. <laughs> or, like, I love his favorite, his famous thing. He's like, no one thought we would have gotten over 300, but we did. Yeah. Right. <laughs> or the fact Which, that, like. That, that's kind of an interesting idea because he's so obsessed with, like, labels and stuff. Uh, I think. Um, I think it was like John Stewart or somebody was writing in a in an interview I read recently that they had a great point that really uh, you know Trump did not really know what the presidency was all about. He didn't you know remember that meeting where he looked almost shell shocked when he met with yeah. Obama at the White House and kind of yeah. figured out like everything that's actually going on. Um, but then like you look at like uh, the recent events with Trump trying to be you know like all tough by gassing people so he can walk to that church and hold the Bible all weird. But, like, it's, the idea is, like, that's what Trump thought being president was, like, calling troops up and gassing people out of the way, looking brave and stuff like that. But, like, you know, the reality is that it's, like, figuring out a way to make legislature on reforming health care and long, boring conversations on arcane specific policies, you know, for any number of lobbying and um, healthcare, you know, uh, rationales for what you're doing. Like, there's so compromise, so much compromising. And I mean, it's obvious that Trump is not a legislating president by any means at all, right? Like he uh, he doesn't know the like, first thing about policy. That's for yeah, sure. he doesn't even know how bills get passed in a lot. <laughs> so it, it's it's like a weird idea that it just. I mean, again, like the legacy of Trump is like he should not have been president, and it's so obvious, even in terms of like the things he says and does and like his own conception of the job. Well, you can see it with this uh, new scandal about the uh, uh, Russian intel group uh, and the bounties they were putting on American soldiers in uh, Afghanistan with the Taliban. And, you know, part of this, obviously the Trump administration, everyone around him is lying about everything. But part of the problem is that even if even if Trump had been briefed it or he was in the presidential brief, he might not have read it. Like, we know he doesn't read it. People have talked about how he prefers to get oral briefs and maybe instead of every day, once or twice a week. So, like, that's a problem. So, I mean, when you talk about what kind of person should be president and maybe that Trump wasn't that kind of person, I always think of it this way. Like, when you think of the average person uh, running for president or, you know, uh, and, and they're just some regular politician who was maybe a House of Representatives or a senator or, like, a governor... You know, all they've had to ever do is worry about like things like taxes or, um, you know, signing a bill here and there and then doing fundraisers. But if you're to be president, like on day one, you have to like be able to get a report saying, hey, we have this drone strike ready to go and we're going to kill, you know, 40 people. Like, are you cool? Like, give us the go ahead. And like not everybody's like that kind of person. Right. And that makes me wonder a lot about like a lot of presidential candidates. You have people who run in who, you know for obvious reasons are never going to get that far in a presidential nomination anyway. But then you think, what if they did win? You know, if you just take like, for example, Sarah Palin, you know, she, she joked that she was like a soccer mom who didn't know a lot about Washington. Well, it's like, well, should she be in charge of the drones then? Like when we're still yeah. droning people in Afghanistan and, you know, Western Pakistan and, you know, potent, you know, especially what was the big thing with Obama, right? Was that he was saying he would go after Al Qaeda in uh, Pakistan, and if he needed to go into Pakistan to get Osama bin Laden, he would break, you know, the sovereign kind of, uh, you know, I I shouldn't say immunity, but sovereign uh, boundaries, you know, borders of Pakistan and do, you know, what some people could argue was an unlawful military um, 
uh, operation in a sovereign country? Like, is that something you want a soccer mom making a decision on? You know, like, what if we did something like that in eastern Ukraine and Crimea and, and started an international incident? Is soccer mom Sarah Palin uh, going to be in charge of that and, and run that operation smoothly and take all the back, you know, the potential backlash? And, you know, thank God that Sarah Palin didn't become vice president. But, I mean, you can apply that logic to all kinds of people, right? I mean, people made that comment about Obama, um, and obviously, and, and thankfully, they were wrong, right? Obama was more than a capable leader and uh, military leader and, and, and planning and conducting and, you know, I guess, rationally, uh, you know, take, making those decisions, right? But do, like, I don't know, something I think about is, is Trump really rationally making decisions on military operations when he doesn't even read the intel and he doesn't read his briefs and he prefers a quick oral brief that mentions his name a couple of times so he, he keeps yeah. his focus on it. I See, mean, that's what's fucked up too because like, the, you know, their excuse is that uh, he wasn't briefed on it and that they never told him and then you have those people like the director of national <laughs> intelligence or whatever coming out and saying, oh yeah, I can say for sure Trump wasn't briefed on it. But like the question, it's... It's so obvious. It's like, well, why was he not briefed on it? What kind of administration is he running that he doesn't get intel like that, that people don't tell it to him, and that that information doesn't get to his desk and his head? Right? Well, they're like, so and incompetent. then it's the question, what's worse? Is it worse that yeah. he didn't do anything? Or is it worse that his staff doesn't even tell him, right? Because it's about Russia and he doesn't like negative news about Russia. Like, what is worse? Well, then you get to the thing where, you know, unfortunately today with Twitter, you have previous people who've had that job or worked in that department who can just say, you know, say straight up from experience, nope, that's the kind of thing we'd brief the president on every day or every week until something was done. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you don't just I saw let somebody something. say that, uh, I saw somebody say that, uh, that they have a record, like that they have that kind of job where you basically... Uh, if, if we go back and read through the records, you'll see that like things get marked when the president sees something. It's just kind of standard record keeping. Oh, that's interesting. So, like, I, I, you know, I guess ostensibly maybe tr the Trump administration does things differently than everybody else does. But, like, the idea is that, like, which, you know, is, I guess in the most important job in the world with the most power and authority, right, it would be smart to have that record. And well, that's a funny thing. Legal instances. Well, for sure, and that's a funny thing because you know, if if they were to pull that record and publicly embarrass Trump for whatever reason, or if it came out right, Trump would just accuse them of being part of the deep state. So then you'd have this funny thing where, ostensibly, this this practice, this institutional practice of just marking whether or not you know for sure the president knows on something of national <laughs> importance. You know, you would make the, I could make the case that that's an important thing to do just for making sure that, hey, you were the briefer. Did you actually brief this? Yes, I marked it. And here's the witness who was also there. But, you know, ostensibly, even that practice to make sure our foreign policy was taken care of appropriately and competently would be a clear indicator of the deep state trying to, you know, embarrass him and hurt him. <laughs> Right. That's a good point. Um, and so let's talk about, like, let's say Trump quits and Pence takes over, right? And not that Trump resigns, but just doesn't. Well, um, I guess real quick, just for the sake of an argument, what if Trump just totally quit, like total bad sport, flip the board, just I'm out of <laughs> here and quits and lets Pence take over? Uh, which, you know, for Trump, for Trump's fragile ego, it, it might considerably be a good idea given that then he could just act like for the rest of his, you know, hopefully miserable life, 
that things were on the uptick <laughs> until he quit and Pence took over and ruined everything that he was trying to do, you know? Well, you know but, for a um, fact he'd do that because that's just how Trump is. I mean... <laughs> right. But I, mean, uh, that's the funny I was thinking... Thing. Go on. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, let's say Trump quits. It would be so fascinating to watch just the immediate 180 that Pence does. Obviously, any president that takes over, like in the instance of a, a president dying, like LBJ taking over for Kennedy, you know, a lot of the times they'll kind of keep the ship steady and, uh, you know, not have, you know, if the president dies, it's such a dramatic change that you don't want to really rock the boat by just like changing everything about the way the government runs and operates mm -hmm. and things like that. But, I mean, can you just imagine if Trump quit and Pence takes over, like, just immediately the foreign policy changes that would probably occur immediately because Pence is not an idiot beholden to, like, Russian blackmail, uh, I, you know, I yeah. guess, uh, you know, I guess. <laughs> I'm that's not a, sure. That's a fascinating thing is, like, at some point we're going to figure it out. And uh, I think if Trump resigns, he probably realizes that some of the presidential immunities he has the benefit of being uh, the recipient of right now will go away. So, I mean, it's fascinating to think about. Um, certainly, I think if there's another Republican party, uh, sorry, uh, Republican president immediately after Trump, there might have to be a, a, pardon, a pardon kind of considered vis-a-vis -vis like, you know, the Nixon Ford case where, you know, I think something's going to come out pretty quickly and there'll have to be a decision whether or not, you know, for, for the basis of their political base who is a you know adores trump for whatever reason you know he they may have to pardon trump just for them right um i can imagine yeah, a that's, political that's world <laughs> yeah well i mean that's the <laughs> it's crazy it'll be the complete opposite of when um ford uh, pardoned nixon right because people right. did want nixon to go to jail and they were furious with ford uh, that he did that, but Ford just thought it was for the better of the, the country. But, you know, I can see a world that if that happened today, there'd be a situation where the political party of the GOP would obviously put a uh, party over country for their own electoral benefit with their voters. Yeah, real quick, going back to what you were saying, that like if someone, if a Republican takes or just anybody takes over after Trump, right? Like there's going to be so many things that come out, right? Because, I mean, you can just go on any issue, right? Like Trump's connection with Israel and moving the embassy with getting nothing for America. There's probably shady shit in there, right? All the North Korea, all the shit that's going on with that. Again, America gets nothing and we're just, you know, giving North Korea endless more time to keep doing whatever they want. That's some weird stuff, right? With Russia, obviously, there's so much going on. What did the interpreter hear in that one-on-one -on -one meeting? Uh, you look at even countries like on the peripheral of our attention, like all the stuff that's going on in Venezuela, right? Like that coup that Trump's, you know, all the Trump people were saying, oh, we had nothing to do with it. But really, really, <laughs> they had nothing to do with a an American led and, uh, you know, organized uh, attempted coup. Comically fit. Well, that's a funny thing is that's almost evidence that the Trump administration is behind it in some ways. How epic because it was failed so immediately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If there's a clue to Trump's <laughs> involvement, it's did it go terribly yeah. in obviously foreseeable ways. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, but let's say uh, let's say Trump just finishes his term and like announces right before the um, convention that he's not going to run again and drops out. Um, do you think the party would just immediately just say, "Hey, Pence, you got to do this"? Do you think I don't know. I think uh, they would probably. I don't, 
I would assume that they would probably, I mean, if the party's going to do it, right, it has to be the delegates at the convention. So then all these Trump appointed delegates would have to decide and it would really be up to them. And I'm not sure we could really, I don't think I could even take a guess at who they might pick because. Um, I guess it would be like the most epic backroom door in modern American political history, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have the different wings of the Republican Party would definitely come out again. For example, the people who are rational Republicans. Uh, you have people who don't like, you know, there's got to be tons of people who don't care for Pence one bit, right? I mean, the evangelicals would probably support Pence. But then the, you have all the non-evangelical voters who love Trump, but probably don't, you know, give half a crap about Pence. Who would they pick? And that's an interesting question. Um, plus, like at party conventions uh, or nominating conventions, you always have weird stuff where like, you know, as you have three or four candidates, you know, you'll have one side switch their support to someone else in unison. Right. And either give them more of an edge or, you know, you know, imagine someone picks Ted Cruz. Like, you know, you can imagine a whole bunch of the wings deciding we're going to vote against Ted Cruz and for someone else like a third person. So um, that's an interesting question. I don't even think we could even compute right <laughs> i mean the top ones you can just take a guess are probably people like mike pence and nikki haley um i don't know yeah. who else there's certainly no one in the wings uh behind definitely wants higher office i think uh he's very opportunistic. I, I don't yeah but i don't think any republicans who love trump really necessarily care about him or he that he would be their first choice if trump were to bow, bow out yeah there's also this back risk. to the this gets back to the political risk of just wrapping up your whole party with a demagogic, you yeah. know, fake celebrity like Trump. Because now, like, if he suddenly's out of the way, like, the whole party was wrapped up in Trump, you know? What do you have? Another thing is the Republican Party as a whole and their their ability to get people, like, the you know, the whole, I guess, re-election campaign of Trump would just kind of dissipate, Right. Those people would get jobs in other campaigns. They'd probably start fighting with each other, depending on how early it was between now and like the nominating convention. Right. But like, what happens if you have all those workers doing the grassroots kind of uh, efforts to reelect Trump? Just say, I don't care about the Republican Party anymore, um, and then they don't even decide to work anymore for whoever they do pick. And then you have a giant absence of people. Uh, you'd have a lot of Republicans who just wouldn't be that into another candidate immediately. You know, they'd have to warm up to him before. And, and, and every day, you know, you're just running out of time. So, yeah. And that's an interesting, too, because like going back to the idea that it's a, uh, a giant uh, like backroom convention. Right. Because you'd have so many people. There's like literally no consensus. I guess Pence would be the obvious choice. But there would be so many people immediately throwing their hat in the ring and trying to convince delegates and, you know, in a situation like that where, like, at, there is no uh, there is no tie, you know, somebody has to win, like, all of the back deals that would just immediately be taking place, right? Like, people would just be promising different delegates and stuff, jobs, you know. Well, it might oh, depend, hey, too, on, like, who the media, like, who does Fox News support or who does, like, uh, you know, uh, Rush Limbaugh yeah, like that might have that, to play. But that doesn't matter as much as just the delegates who are in the room and having to make the decision, right? Because, mm -hmm. I mean, if you get up to it and, like, Pence doesn't have a plurality or whatever, and you get to the point where, like, Tom Cotton's people are like, hey, Nikki Haley, we'll vote for you if you give Tom Cotton the uh, Secretary of State job or something. Exactly, You know, yeah. like, all of the deals going in the background. Like, you know, that, it's almost like when the... the, the the cardinals and bishops or whatever go in and pick a pope totally yeah. in secret. You know, it's like totally backdoor 
Uh, and obviously, you know, going back to Harding, we just mentioned him. He was picked on like like a double digit round of voting in the in the uh, in that backroom convention. Oh yeah, some, that would be a funny spectacle too if the Republican Party couldn't coalesce behind one person to get a majority of the votes, and then you have yeah. ballot after ballot, like fifty. You know that happened all the time in the old days in the eighteen hundreds. That was pretty common in elections, yeah. especially when you had four or five people, four or five individuals getting electoral votes from states. No one would get the the majority needed, so you'd you'd basically have to make back deal. Backroom right. deals like that. So we have uh, candidate Ben Sass <laughs> randomly getting, you know, the nomination. Yeah. The one, the one person not everybody hates. <laughs> I mean, that's how that's how Lincoln won. I mean, that's a good example, right? He didn't have the nomination, and uh, you know, yeah. he 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 basically. I mean, if I'm remembering the book Team no, Rivals. Well, I mean, he was he was up there. He was running, and he. Well, he uh, was a second choice among rivals. many people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because so a lot he, of people didn't like Seward. Yeah, but I mean, that's just, yeah, my point that like multiple presidents we've had have been the nominee from the party from similar backroom deals right. and stuff. Um, um, so let's get into the actual apparatus of actually voting. You want to take this about which states, like let's say Trump waits too long. Well, yeah, this the is the interesting question. Voted. Yeah, this is the scenario if Trump, uh, he gets a nomination and decides, you know, if polls are showing he's going to there's going to be an absolute blowout and his, his fragile little ego can't take that. So he's going to quit before the uh, election actually begins. Well, there's going to be a problem with that. So if the Republicans want to pick someone else, it might be too late. So every state, you know, it's not like the old days where they're, they're printing off several thousand ballots. You know, today you have states printing tens of millions sometimes. Uh, but it, most states, it, it's at least a million or several million ballots. Um, and then they have to get them to every polling place. So that's a process that takes time. Um, and then there's there's very specific rules that some states have about write-ins, right? So if, it, if it's too late for the nominee, if like the ballot's already made and sent out, if, it's too, if Trump was the nominee and then quits and now the Republican Party doesn't have a nominee, what they're going to have to rely on is write-in. Uh, uh, candidates on the ballot, and and that's a huge problem. Uh, for example, eight states uh, have no write-in, so when they have a ballot, by law, there's no write-in spot. You basically have to pick a Democrat, a Republican, or if there's like a third party on there, you have to pick one of three or four, five people of any of the parties in America. And if you don't vote for them, you're you you just don't vote because there's no write-in. And those states are Nevada. South Dakota, New Mexico, Hawaii, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Arkansas, and South Carolina. Now, that would be bad for Republicans because most of those states, South Dakota, uh, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Arkansas, and South Carolina are typically pretty, you know, strong red states. Um, whereas, like, Hawaii is the only strong Democrat one there. And, and what is it, four electoral votes? So it, it would hardly matter for, for the Democrats in that case if it was reversed. But... Um, that would be pretty problematic for for the Republicans. And then there's the group of states that uh, um, basically you can they have a write in. But if you're not an official candidate who filed with the state and paid the fees and got the you know uh, signatures signed, well, even if people write you in, um, you're not even going to be counted. And that's a problem because even if the Republicans tried to say, okay, we're all going to vote for Mike Pence or something. And everyone write in Mike Pence. Well, in 32 states, Mike Pence won't get any votes because he won't be the official candidate for president, right? 
So ironically, I mean, you know, we vote for the president and vice president. So, I mean, in, in that way, if, if the Republicans won the election, like Mike Pence would in theory win the vice presidency, but there'd be no winner for president, which would be a very weird situation. Um, but yeah, so 32 states, you know, you basically don't get counted for a write-in. So, I mean, if you take any 32 states, you're probably eliminating the ability to get to 270. Um, and, you know, that's just, you know, n you can't win the election. It's just numerically, you know, uh, mathematically impossible. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting idea. You know, the states with no write-in would kind of hurt Republicans more. South Carolina, Arkansas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, and, yeah, and if uh, I could South add, Dakota. there's only 10 states that you can write in someone and their vote will be uh, counted regardless of if they filed uh, for the election or not. And those states are Vermont, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Alabama, Mississippi, Iowa, Wyoming, and Oregon. So, I mean, conceivably, you know, you pick the states that traditionally lean red and, and, and that would be, you know, the only states a write-in candidate could probably win other than the eight listed states before. So, um, you know, best case scenario, the best conceivable case scenario, you could only win 16 states um, and, and none of them are really, I mean, New Jersey's on there, um, but there's not a lot of hard hitting electoral states in there. I mean, Texas is in that list. Pennsylvania's got 20, so they're a pretty hard hitting state, but you know, yeah. California's not in that list, Texas, Florida, Illinois, a lot of the uh, the biggest uh, electoral states aren't even on there. So, do you think that should be changed? Do you think every state should have write-in options? I yeah, mean, it's kind of weird because democracy in many ways. Well, yeah, and, and that's the weird thing about American politics is like the one thing that both parties agree on is the limitations and uh, hurdles <laughs> yeah. they put on third right. parties to run against them. Uh, so, I mean, in, in theory, if if we have a democracy, you should be able to vote for anybody. And, and clearly there's 32 states where, I mean, I've personally, I didn't know this before. I've written people in for, you know, various things at the state level. Um, but like if they don't count any candidate who's not even, you know, filed and it doesn't count, well, then you have 32 states where people, even if they're writing in a, a uh, you know, write-in candidate, well, they're just deluding themselves and they just don't know that it's not even being counted to begin with. Yeah. Um, and let's say that they actually try to do some like write-in, or sorry, not write-in vote, but they, they get ahead of the ballots or something. But just the idea of a Republican taking over for Trump in the election, let's say the voting and ballot stuff goes all right. Um, it's so hard to kind of hit the ground running because I guess you would assume that Trump would just hand off his apparatus and all his people and... Uh, but even campaign money gets thorny. I mean, people who donate to the Trump campaign, can he just give that to another campaign? I'm not sure about the legality of that. I don't know about that because I do know, like, uh, when someone runs for anything and they, I mean, what, they lose. Couldn't could that be a massive, uh, like, campaign finance violation if you just all of a sudden get, like, $80 million or something or $300 million or whatever Trump has? Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to look that up because I know when, like, if you run for something and lose, you don't you don't cancel your, your campaign, right? What do they always say? Legally, they say, I suspend my campaign. Uh, right. and, and, and in theory, you know, that's like the, the Korean War that never ended, right? In theory, your campaign didn't end. You just suspended it and you're not running anymore. And, and, and that's, I mean, so you can't take that money. Like, for example, uh, Bernie Sanders can't take his cam campaign money and just pocket it because the campaign ended. Um, it's very, I'm sure there's very, uh, stringent regulations on what you can and can't do with that. Right. 
Um, and then we can talk about uh, like the voters responding to that. Um, I have a note here just talking about how, um, like, let's say a lot of Trump voters don't want to vote for Pence and they were really only in it for the racism, not for the weird Christian <laughs> fundamentalism. Yeah. Uh, but then it gets back to the idea that people are voting for Supreme Court justices. And, you know, in 2016, a lot of people who hated Trump's personal character and his, uh, his moral crimes <laughs> against all of the people and specifically the women in his life. Um, but it's interesting, too, that so many people vote for, like, I'm just voting for the down ballots or I'm just voting for the Democrats so they pick the, uh, like, Democrats for the cabinet and I'm just voting Democrats so that they pick, uh, you know, pro-choice Supreme Court justices. And, yeah, that's a functional, very strategic thing to do, but especially with the Supreme Court, which was a big reason why Trump got so many votes in 16. That, what do you think about that? I, I personally think that... I, We've talked about this before in the past that the Supreme Court is kind of screwed up and that it probably needs a lot of change. And uh, I think it needs a lot of change. But it's kind of weird then that people would be voting for the executive solely because the executive picks the uh, the judicial branch. Well, like I mean, the top it, judicial branch. I don't think that's illogical, and I think it makes a lot of sense because I mean, say you care about global warming. Well, you know what's going to happen if any Republican runs right and wins. Like, that's not even a question. They're not going to do anything about climate change. They're probably going to deny it. So in that regard, if a dog was running with a D next to their name, but you could be sure that the Democrat dog would, you know, in some way nominate a Democrat to the EPA, like, that would be logical. If, if, if you were that single-issue vo uh, voter, it would make sense to vote for a dog. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this is a dumb argument, you know, a, a silly, I shouldn't say dumb argument, but a silly argument. But I mean, if you took the least likable Democrat um, and let's say they were competent, right? You're, you're not picking someone incompetent like the Republicans picked with Trump. But let's say you take someone who's not very motivated, like who's a who's a very unmotivating Democrat who, who ran, right? Take a guy Tim like Kane. Yeah, Tim Kaine. <laughs> let's say Tim Kaine is president. Well, at least he's a competent person. So even though, you know, and then maybe he was running against Reagan, right? And Reagan was a, a present day Republican who denied climate change and said it was a Chinese hoax, right? Well, if you care about climate change, I mean, even though Reagan was so like uh, inspiring as a person, motivational, right? Made you feel good about America. Like, why would you vote for him if he was going to pick, you know, Scott Pruitt to lead the EPA like Trump did? Like, that just doesn't make sense to me. So in, in that way, I, I understand why Republicans... And, and, and to be fair, no one... I mean, people had a pretty good hunch, uh, but no one knew Trump was going to be this bad, right? I mean, there is a conceivable alternate reality where Trump is a little less narcissistic and egotistical and might have been a good, you know, transformative president, uh, president who said, I don't care about politics. I'm just a businessman. Let's get stuff done. So in that way, like, I understand where those, like, value voters are coming from. And I would totally recommend any Democrat who cares about the environment or global warming not vote the Green Party again, right? You should vote for Biden just because you know he'll put a Democrat who believes in global warming in charge of the EPA or the, the climate change, you know, um, uh, uh, legislation and, and goals of the administration, right? So, I mean, what do you think about that? Like, does that kind of push back on your idea? Um, well, I, I totally understand the strategy. I mean, don't, 
don't get me wrong, I'm not the biggest biased. But it's not even a strategy. World, but... It's a logical conclusion of what kind of policy you want. So, I mean, if you. Well, take... yeah, of course. <laughs> but I, I'm, I, I was talking about this uh, purely in terms of, like, the judicial branch, which I think needs a lot of reform in our constitution. It's probably been the, uh, the branch of government reformed the least in terms of our maybe amendment attention. Well, I would make this argument at the Supreme Court. I don't think it needs to be amended, I think it functions properly, right? <clears throat> the problem, I think, is that uh, the candidates are more and more, especially on the right, just partisan hacks. Like, the Supreme Court is not supposed to be filled with partisan hacks. And, you know, the way they decide whether something is constitutional or not should not inherently be based on politics and partisan kind of framing, right? So I think the Senate, which, you know, for decades has just pretty much taken any person the president nominates... And then kind of as long as they weren't like grossly incompetent and unfit, they would allow him to be on the court. And I think, you know, maybe the Senate should do their job, you know, and actually, you know, give the uh, a rational and and thought out yes vote or no vote on the Supreme Court justices. Yes and um, no. I get what you're saying that I guess my problem is that the Senate does not adequately advise and consent to the Supreme yeah. Court justices that a president picks. However, I do also think it's stupid that, like, let's say COVID killed five justices, right? All what if, what if COVID killed all four liberal justices, and now <laughs> Trump gets to pick four more, which means he gets to pick six out of the nine, right? And he lost the popular vote. I think our Constitution does not that the re, that the way this check and balance is set up makes it stupid in such a fluke circumstance like that 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 could happen. The president who doesn't. <laughs> When yeah. could theoretically at some point pick every single judge. Well, right? I mean, that's a weird thing. And, and like, it's a weird thought experiment. But like, we've had talks about this before. And I, I'm personally not against the Democrats unilaterally destroying certain institutions. And I think that, you know, to some degree, it's free game. I think Democrats should take another step in the way, in the institutions that Republicans have ruined for partisan advantage. For example, I think Democrats, if they win the, the Congress, should eliminate the filibuster on every issue. They should tell, you know, if Trump wins re-election, they should just say, we're not going to approve a single Supreme Court justice. You know, if a, if a Republican dies or, you know, Ruth Ginsburg Bader dies, you know, well, we'll wait till the next election. In, in that regard, you know, they I think they should really shove it to Republicans on the institutions and the norms. <laughs> Real that quick, broken. you know, that would that Republicans might actually come around on that one. If you say we're just governing according to biblical law, you know, eye for an eye, <laughs> maybe yeah. you could convince a couple of them. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, there's other things I think Democrats should do, like make D.C. a state and Puerto Rico a state if they'll they'll have it and then get four more senators. I think they should absolutely gerrymander every state they win control of in this election. Now, I'm not going to say I'm not also at the same time more for them giving, you know, I, I think David Frum said this uh, in, in a bunch of interviews and in his book he recently wrote, but he said that Democrats that win big in certain states and win control of the legislatures in those states should make up two electoral maps. One, where they, you know, basically take all power they can from Republicans and give it all to Democrats. They should make a second set of maps for rationally, uh, you know, non-gerrymandered, I should say rationally apportioned, non-gerrymandered maps. 
and then go to the Republicans in the states that hopefully they, they win less of and say, if you make fair maps, we'll make fair maps. Otherwise, you know, there will be one single Republican voted in Michigan and one single Republican voted in North Carolina, you know what I mean? And just completely, because that's a norm and institution Republicans have ruined. Um, and, and, you know, gerrymandering to be, you know, gerrymandering to be fair is, is not ruined just by the Republicans. Democrats have a long history of doing it too. But you take institutions like, Everything Mitch McConnell's done in the Senate, the fact that they stole the Supreme Court, you know, justice seat from Obama, right. I think that's something that Democrats should just go ham on. You know, if if Mitch McConnell took it to 101 percent, Democrats should take it to 110 percent or 150 percent. I'm all about that. But with the Supreme Court, I don't think we should go. Democrats should go out of their way to ruin the institution, especially when Republicans haven't yet. And, and, you know, that's a that's an interesting kind of idea. I go back and forth in my mind is like, why should Democrats wait for Republicans to break an institution when they find it convenient? But I think for the interim, if they make D.C. and Puerto Rico a state and get four more Democrats in the Congress and, and they, you know, get rid of gerrymandering in all the states they win or at least, you know, you know, give Democrats the gerrymandered advantage in all those states, I think they'll do a lot of good in the interim without ruining the entire federal government. Yeah, uh, good thoughts. We've talked about this before in past podcasts. We welcome you to check out our previous pods. Uh, but I guess uh, maybe now's a good time to get back <laughs> on the topic a little bit. Uh, that's let's a, that's a rabbit hole. Uh, yeah, it's a rabbit, rabbit hole. hole. <laughs> right. So let's say that Joe Biden wins. Uh, I believe we've both taken ourselves out of the prediction game. I myself was pretty confident Hillary Clinton was going to win in 2016. So I think I uh, will <laughs> well, that's never a funny again. Thing, right. I remember and uh, I remember texting people. I was sitting in the gym on election night. Um, I had already voted by mail, and I was sitting in the gym intermittently texting people, I think Hillary is going to be a good president. And then when I got home oh. to the, from the gym, <laughs> just realizing things that, like, Ohio wasn't going good for Hillary, you know, that, um, you know, Virginia was very close, that Michigan and Wisconsin looked bad, and I was just eating my own words, <laughs> literally. I, uh, I remember... Uh... Uh, me and my wife, we uh, were going to a bar in the uh, Central West End in St. Louis um, to like drink and celebrate, to have some drinks and celebrate. And there was like a taco deal. And so we get there and like we're watching the news and things are starting to go bad. And, like we go to the bar anyway and just keep watching on TV. And we were sitting at the bar with a bunch of other people. And, you know, it's, you know, uh, kind of the main city part of the cool part of uh, the trip. Sorry, I'm uh, stuttering here the hip and trendy part of St. Louis, so very filled with liberals. And, like, everyone is just watching the TV. and Like, literally everyone is getting sad and depressed and pissed off. And, uh, you know, at least we were with people agreeing with us, you know, and uh, communally going through, like, starting the process of grief. (laughs) Well, you know what the the crazy thing, kind of talking about what we kind of touched on at the beginning of this podcast, is that... uh, what will be in Donald Trump's mind and what he's going to do and how is that compared to like wannabe dictators in history? Uh, I think David Axelrod made a point that this election could be very strange where if if COVID doesn't die down and which it's looking like the second wave is coming and we might have to quarantine more. But by November, right, if if COVID doesn't go down and a lot of people are not going to be voting in person and we really do go to a very widespread, you know, uh, mail-in ballot kind of voting election night, 
well, there'll be a weird situation and it'll be likely that we won't know the outcome for, for days, right? Because if, if, you, if you're living abroad or in some other state and you vote, uh, you know, in your district where your, your home is and, you know, you get it sent to you and then you put it in the mail by, you know, whatever time on election day and it's postmarked by the, the USPS. Well, you know, it might take several days for all those ballots to even go in. And if it's even if it's a close election, we might not know who won for days. So then it makes you wonder, like, what will be the teeter and tottering of the clearly, you know, fashoid tendencies of Donald Trump in his mind as, you know, some news reports will say, oh, like maybe in-person voting makes it look really close. And then, you know, on a certain day in some states, maybe as some of the absentee ballots and the mail-in votes come in, um, maybe it looks like Trump might win the state or maybe, you know, a state Biden thought he was going to maybe crank out doesn't go for him. So that'd be a really kind of weird, you know, couple of days for Americans all over the country. What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, that's a frightening idea. Uh, I think we're both a little bit too young, really, to have, like, actually experienced 2000 and, like, the waiting period that was. But... Uh, you know, say what you will about George Bush and Al Gore, neither of them are fascists accusing the other of like belonging in prison and yeah. you know, the one party, you know, uh, being full of voter fraud that can't be trusted. You know, well, here's the funny helped. thing. Here's something I just thought of, and it's, it's, it's so true to how the Trump administration works and how Trump himself, you know, his brain works. It like, imagine the begin like on election night, if things aren't going well for Trump and he starts accusing mail-in voting as being a rigged system and he says the entire election's rigged, and then what if what if Trump starts winning and then he has to just eat his words and do a complete 180 and say, see, you know, everyone wants me to be reelected. You know what I mean? Can you imagine him, how easy it would be for him to just go back on him saying, this is rigged, the whole system's messed up, I didn't lose, Biden cheated, and then if it were to flip in like the, uh, the votes, he would immediately do a 180, you know? Yeah, and the thought I've been having is that uh, it's so weird to me knowing Trump and his personality that he even wants to continue being president, right? Like, he's so lazy. He doesn't like reading enough to the point that if you take his word for it, he's directed his staff to not tell him national security uh, matters of, like, the utmost importance, like a foreign uh, ideologically opposing uh, country driving like, pain, yeah, paying terrorist groups to kill our soldiers. Um so like, and like, he obviously wants to just golf, right? Like, I really don't understand. I mean, I get his ego is so big, but like, he's not getting younger. He's really friggin' old. There's no way his health can be that good, right? Like he had that, he had a couple medical scares or whatever that like no questions have been answered about what actually happened. That he went to like Walter Reed Medical Well, the Speaker of the House called him morbidly obese, which I think is an astute observation. <laughs> yeah. So, like, to me, it's just so weird that, like, why he would want to keep being president anyway, because, like, again, he likes golfing. He clearly already goes around telling everybody at his rallies he's the most successful president, except maybe Lincoln, but maybe more than Lincoln, you know? So it's so weird that he wouldn't want to just quit, you know, uh, quit after one term, say he was the most transformative president ever, let let Biden take over and, you know, fix all of his messes and then he can just keep on going, oh, Biden made everything worse, right? Yeah. And then that gets us to our next point of like, what happens if Biden wins? Uh, how soon do you think um, that 
like Republicans start caring about COVID deaths all of a sudden. They well, want <laughs> the the wall his hand is on the Bible, they start screaming, You murderer, this is worse than Benghazi. Well you just have to look back to the first time in two thousand and nine in January that Sean Hannity claimed that the you know, at that time eight trillion dollar debt was Obama's fault. <laughs> It'll be yeah. that amount of time. <laughs> Right. I, uh, yeah, I've said this like so many podcasts and so many times, but, you know, like literally the day the demo, like if Joe Biden wins the next day, all of these supposedly liberal news organizations that are so biased for Democrats are going to start having like, you know, giant, they're going to have covers like very dark with like Joe Biden's silhouette saying like, now is the time to worry about the catastrophic debt. You know, it's like yeah. that Republicans just get a free pass on. Yeah. Because they're the ones always complaining about the debt, and then they do nothing to stop the debt and actually undo the positive directional changes that Democrats have put in place. Well, it's a funny complaint, too, because if they're going to criticize a Democrat for having too much debt, well, even if you know people listen to their argument and then vote in Republicans, they're just going to cut taxes. So, like... If you're having a, a personal you know, finance uh, income problem and you're having trouble making ends meet, uh, well, you don't unilaterally just quit your job to eliminate your paycheck <laughs> to fix that <laughs> yeah, problem, right? right? So yeah. the fact that you, know, you have $25 trillion in debt, we've had this because for decades now, uh, we literally haven't taken in more money in our budget than we spend. So really, you know, part of that solution is raising taxes on you know, certain people you know, and a Democrat would argue maybe the people who won't notice it the most. <laughs> um, yeah. So that'll be a very contentious issue, I'm sure. They're going to try to demand Joe Biden um, cut spending, uh, even though, you know, they didn't say jack shit when Trump increased spending. Uh, I mean, we'll see what happens, right? At some point, I like to think the Republican Party and becoming the party of no was like Obama era thing because they were uniquely worried that Obama was a transformative president and that he could have drastically changed the country if given the power. Um, but I mean, like, what is the, you know, if Republicans do the same playbook they did under Obama, what they're going to do is, is horrible to think about, right? They're not going to offer another penny to anybody to in response to COVID if COVID's still a problem in January. Oh, my God, um, yeah. And because they're going to say, well, it'll make Biden look good, because that's literally what they did during the financial crisis with Obama. Um, and, you know, you know, I hope Democrats get control of the Senate because otherwise nothing's getting done um, because you'll have Republicans filibustering everything in the Senate if they still have control. Well, do you, you want them to get, a, get rid of the filibuster? Completely? No, that's what I'm saying. That's an issue that the Republicans have ruined and taken advantage of. Right. So. They got rid of the filibuster on um, certain uh, things. You know, the Senate has rules that they have, you know, they allow filibusters for some issues and some others. They, they got they rid completely... of the filibuster on the Supreme Court justices. Oh, yeah, for sure. And um, so I think that's that's an institution the Republicans have ruined. And I think, you know, to it, it's kind of fun in, in like a, a game theory kind of way. Right. So like as a political scientist, you know, game theory is kind of what a lot of people look to to kind of explain things. But if, if you want to disincentivize Republicans from breaking norms and traditions again, 
will just have an ultimatum saying that the Democratic Party policy is that if you break a norm, we're going to uh, nuke it. You know what I mean? If you if you slip up and uh, you know just take advantage of this, we're going to nuke it and do it a hundred times worse, and that should disincentivize you from breaking the government again, right? I mean, but the the crazy thing is you can't do that with every issue, unfortunately, and the Republicans know that because like you look at something like the the debt ceiling, you know, debacles, the governmental debacles, you know, between Biden and or sorry, not Biden, but Obama and the Republican Party during 2010, 2011. Right. I mean, you had Republicans like John Boehner and Paul Ryan willing to make a deal, knowing that government can't default. And then like you have the the House um, Freedom Caucus literally willing to sabotage the government's finances credit rating and ability to even issue debt and pay its debts, you know, something that you would think any government should do, any responsible, rational government. So like, I mean, imagine them doing that with Biden and COVID saying that we don't care, you know, it's good for us if another 500,000 Americans die. Um, I mean, that's a horrendous thing to think about. But, you know, that's how Republicans are positioned right now that they don't have any new ideas. Right. They're still playing on the old playbook. If you watch Fox News and what things Republican uh, voters and, and individuals are hearing about, it's still Hillary. You know what I mean? They're literally still hearing about Hillary Clinton. Yeah, Sean Hannity's still doing <laughs> Hillary. Uh... Yeah. Hillary email gate uh, segments. So, like, that's my concern is that they'll go back to the old tried and true playbook of being the country, the party of no, because anything a Democrat wants to do is bad for us. And if any success, I mean, it's so strange. Like, well, you look at it, they're the party of no, even when they had the full control, right? Yeah. Um, like, or not even, I mean, I guess full control, they passed like a couple things. But um, even when they have the presidency and the Senate, right? Mitch McConnell literally has an inbox just filled with bills that the House has passed, and he doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. Um, so they're the party of no, even when they have, you know, a majority of, I guess, governmental power. You know, now they have the judicial branch, the executive branch, and one half of the legislative branch. And they're still saying no to everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll see what happens with Biden. I think, um, I think kind of like Trump, you know, in an alternate reality could have been a good president. I think, you know, in the multiverse, there's a uh, hundred billion times more alternate realities where Biden will be a good president, which is a good thing because Biden's a yeah, confident, rational thought, person. Uh, I had this thought the other day, like, can you imagine how much different uh, Trump's presidency would have been had he picked Chris Christie over Jared Kushner in terms of like influence on setting up the government? Yeah. Right. Someone who actually but, understood what a government, even though it was a state level, but understood what was supposed to happen. Yeah. And actually knew a lot of Republicans was probably would probably have been a very capable and functional uh, uh, chief of staff for Trump. Uh, I mean, what what's the nicest thing you can say about Jared Kushner's record right now? That he's just a, a moron who's in over his head. Like, is that the the best thing you can say about him, I think? Yeah, I think he does really play a role that's indispensable to Trump because well, Jared some Kushner people have said is, that he and Ivanka are basically running the government, and that Trump's like too stupid and doesn't read anything to do anything otherwise. Right, and I, I, he's also indispensable because of like all of the foreign uh, oligarchs and leaders that you know Jared Kushner is texting MBS in Saudi Arabia, you know, in a way that does not preserve any of those text messages. Yeah. He knows his, he's like actually family friends with like Bibi Netanyahu, 
There's like, you know, so, and, and then in terms of like, you know, Jared Kushner, like Trump, needs a lot of fluid, liquid cash at all times because he's made, he's got a terrible business record uh, <laughs> yeah. and has lots of debts, right? Like even as Saudi, you know, you want to talk about shit, we're going to find out when Trump is gone. Wait till people start looking into why we did that like blockade on Cutter or whatever. And then Jared mm -hmm. Kushner's family company got bailed out like billions like half, like a third of a billion, I don't remember the exact amount, but hundreds of million dollars on the low end from a country that we were like actively screwing over with foreign policy, like yeah. really fucking <laughs> over. Like that's really screwed up. Saudi, I mean, what do you think about Saudi Arabia? I think if there's one country that like the net, like the reversal of foreign policy, if, it, if Joe Biden wins and takes over is like, let's fuck over Saudi Arabia because what the fuck have they done for us for all we've done for them, right? Well, I mean, Saudi Arabia, like, if you care at all about anything America's pretended to care about or stand for in the last 250 years, <laughs> Saudi Arabia is not your horse, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Um, and so the, the, the war they're doing right now in Yemen, and we're, like, giving them bombs that are used to, like, kill busloads of children in Yemen... Like this, I mean, you talk about blowback, right? The forward policy idea of blowback. Uh, I think Yemen is going to be the next Al Qaeda, you know, uh, esque hotspot of terrorism. Well, it's a, saying it's death a failed to America. state for sure. I mean, it's such a. I mean, that's a weird. Yemen's a whole um, bee's nest of different issues. Where like you've you've got rebel groups who are like mainly a family dynasty type thing that are trying to take over you have an inept government i shouldn't say inept but you have a government that doesn't really have control um they're being attacked by countries with far greater means than themselves who are you know and it's a proxy war with iran so like i mean the whole thing is just a convoluted crazy thing and and like you know once again it, the nicest thing you can say about jared kushner is that he's in over his head and, you know, he's not the guy to solve right. this problem between Iran, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Yemen, uh, Oman's involved, you know, trying to help, uh, you know, they're right. traditionally kind of like the, you know, the country that, you know, you make agreements with or tries to, you know, get other sides to come together and, and work stuff out diplomatically. Uh, you know, the United States has vested interests foreign policy wise, uh, some of them good, some of them, you know, less good. Um, so, I mean, it's a whole bee's nest of issues. Yeah. Uh, I guess we're getting a little off topic, but real quick, uh, <laughs> what do you think of the, uh, the, the suggestion? This is something that Seth Abramson always writes about, that, like the idea that really Trump's collusion is with uh, Russia to end sanctions on Russia so that they can uh, basically get rich. Uh, if, if you know, Trump was also trying to give... Uh, um, nuclear weapons technology to Saudi Arabia and the whole collusion plot is basically Russia getting rid of sanctions so they can build the nuclear reactors with the technology America I guess gives Saudi Arabia and then Israel's in on it so all three of them can kind of uh, pit, like screw over Iran um, you know the collusion stuff has really never gone away and even now it's it's coming out one like FOIA document at a time that Bill Barr is hiding things and that he went way overhanded and what he was uh, blacking out and uh, censoring from like released uh, art, like released uh, the uh, what FOIA is it, documents the redactions and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that, um, that like 
Bill Barr personally intervened to stop a lot of lines of inquiry of the Mueller report. And even now, like in terms of like Lev Parnas and some of the other shady people who are being prosecuted, Bill Barr is getting involved in monitoring those and stopping certain lines of prosecution. Right? Like Michael Flynn is a big well, the, one. Michael Flynn was obviously in on a lot of this collusion. The crazy thing is, even if Trump somehow wins again, um, this stuff's still going to come out. Like, if Barr's breaking the law, I mean, what's the statute of limitations for an attorney general of breaking hundreds of laws, right? Like, he'll still get in trouble. It, you know, it could even come out if, if Trump wins, right? I mean, at what point will even the Republicans in the Senate say, okay, it's time to impeach Bill Barr? Um, if he's committing all these crimes, right? Um, I mean, imagine, think of all the scandals that have happened in these four years. I wonder if maybe if Trump's given another four years, I can't imagine him surviving. You know, maybe he'll be the first president to get a second and then third impeachment as well, at least from the House, if the Senate won't uh, agree. But I mean, like, this stuff has to come out. There's going to be <laughs> investigations. I mean, I don't see the, the House, yeah. you know, being lost to Republicans. So... I mean, for one, I think the Democrats should be subpoenaing everybody all the time to get information on this stuff because, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And, you know, the Trump administration's already an out-of-control blaze. So, you know, the argument where there's smoke, right. there's fire. If you can see the fire, you know there's a ton of smoke. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so, if you yeah. can see the fire, it's probably a fire. Yeah. <laughs> and see, that that's... It kind of feels different. That, I mean, granted, every you know a lot of scandals have felt different with Trump. You know, this one's going to get him, but this one with the troops, there's really no good read. There's really no way to squirm out of this one. I mean, yeah. you can say that he didn't, he wasn't actually briefed, which I doubt is true. It just doesn't seem likely um, in terms of the way any functional government should be run, but. Well, I mean, here's the, the weird know, thing, too, is I don't At a certain get, point, it's like blatant treason, right? If he knew about it and didn't do anything, didn't say anything, didn't alert our allies, and is still publicly complimenting Putin and Russia and trying to get them into all of our G7 clubs and stuff like that. Well, the crazy thing about this is I don't know even like why they're lying about this, if the truth is anything more than just, oh, yeah, Trump didn't do anything about it. But like, even if... like. Well, I guess part well, of the scandal... Well, did you notice the tweets? The tweets that they were writing were, like, very, very intentionally written, right? Like, yeah. like Trump's tweets did not adequately actually address the actual problem, right? Like, the way they were writing it... Um, I don't have the, the wording right in front of me, but... Um, uh, well, but, like, if you actually go through and read it, like, it's, it's very uh, politically written, leaving them open to say, I didn't lie, <laughs> even <laughs> well, though like their non-denials are kind of like off the mark of what the allegations are. Well, here's what I was going to say. It's just this, and it makes the lying even more stupid because if, if the United States can pick up transmissions from Russia talking about these bounties, like they 100% can pick up stuff that the Taliban's doing, right? The Taliban has no specific, very high, you know, in-depth, communications technology that Russia doesn't have. So, like, I don't get why they wouldn't just say something like, we knew about it, none of our troops were actually at risk, and we've been tracking this, you know, whole situation the entire time, because as you can see, you know, from these FOIA documents or whatever, or just from the New York Times, 
we picked up on the Russian transmissions, so you can bet your ass we're listening to the fucking Taliban. You know what I mean? Like, I don't get why... This didn't even have to be an issue for the Trump administration. It shows how inept they are, right? They thought that this could make Trump look bad, so then they lied about it and tried to hide it. Then it came out, they lied about it more. When in reality, like, I mean, they're even inept at lying. Like, the idea... <laughs> but I mean, what you're I saying thought... doesn't really matter, though. What you're saying doesn't matter because they're not saying that they didn't, they weren't aware of what was going on and tracing it. I think the bigger problem is that he's like clearly, uh, not clearly, but I guess a lot of people would say he's maybe suspiciously acting like a Russian agent. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But I mean, my, my only point was just like, they're so inept, they can't even tell a good lie. They can't tell the yeah. truth right. They can't do good things. They can't even do bad things. And they can't lie about it. They're, they're literally inept at everything. I mean, yeah. <laughs> But that's true. Shit, I don't know. Uh, I guess back on topic. I, you know, anytime you're talking, there's just so many things wrong with Trump. There's a million rabbit holes you can go down. There's just so many scandals. It's it's absurd because like there's there's well so they make many up scandals, scandals just to they make up scandals and and purposely commit. You know, it's like the uh, uh, they purposely commit scandals to hide from other scandals. Like uh, when the they, they <laughs> well yeah when they let the. Um, when they let, um, what was that issue with Ivanka Trump that when she was caught using a private email server and and not using protected uh, government kind of communication systems and protections, uh, they, what was yeah. that scandal? You remember that? I don't remember what they did, yeah, but they did something just to hide the fact that, yeah, a lot of uh, scrutiny was going into Ivanka. Yeah. Yeah, that would be screwed up if, like, Trump's gone and we find out that Jared Kushner and Ivanka literally made, like, every decision. <laughs> that would be a little screwed up. Well, I mean, yeah, Trump... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, Trump is like... <laughs> it's like when you pull the curtain... You pull, you know, you pull the curtain and it's like a little munchkin, you know, who you thought was this big evil guy. That's like Trump, you know? You think he's some, like... Uh, yeah crazy you know leader but then you find out that he's literally just a moron and it's you know that's like the what's that <laughs> literally what, just a moron wearing diapers who i can't even talk golfing. about it. it's so stupid i'm having trouble come up <laughs> words for it but it's like it's like that uh the famous slogan you know they say don't don't attribute something to malice and evil which can just be explained by stupidity and that's the trump administration right right that's so true uh, well, I guess this is a kind of a good start, a good place to round up the conversation. But I guess uh, let's close with a little positive thought. Uh, we were talking earlier that maybe it would be funny if Democrats started like gaming the political system by literally moving from different states to be able to like just take over red states. Because uh, the idea that like LA could give up, like let's just say two or three million of its residents, like if three million people from Los Angeles County or whatever, uh, move to different red states, like how many they could flip blue, just if like Idaho filled up with a bunch of Democratic voters who wanted to move to Boise. Uh, What's like New York City has eight million people. The New York metropolitan area is like eight million people, right? So between right. New Jersey and New York, you could probably relocate two million Democrats and still not even risk them going right. blue. <laughs> Democrats kind of screw themselves over by wanting to live in big urban uh, metropolitan areas so that, you know, essentially all those votes are pretty much wasted uh, in terms of like districting uh, elections and uh, 
the Electoral College, and you know, it's extrapolated from there, things like that. But it would be funny if uh, you just did have a migration and say, you know what, let's stop having so many Republican senators. Let's just all start moving, even out all the states, you know, a little bit, and have like every state vote blue from now on. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that'd be some uh, pretty hardcore politicking. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I guess that's a good place to stop. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Brain Mill Podcast. Uh, I'm Dash McIntyre. And I'm Adrian Pope. And enjoy the guitar solo.